Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm here today with Robin Orport. Robin, hello. Good morning. How are you? Morning, Sanj. How are you doing? It's evening for you, actually, isn't it? I'm great. Cheers, mate. Hope you're all right as well. Very good. So, Robin, you've had a long time in tech. You've got over 20 years um, as a dev or working with devs and now, you know, as a leader in, in tech. Um, a lot of your time uh, early on and in the middle of your career was as a contractor. You worked for like NatWest, Credit Suisse, uh, General Motors, Getty Images, Pricewaterhouse, et cetera, et cetera. And then you started a permanent, permanent career at uh, Compare the Market, which is where we met. We worked on the same team for like three years. Um, you were a senior when you joined. You quickly worked your way up to lead and you're now an application architect. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And your time there is uh, is has only been spent on the on the marketing tech team that's right yeah no I've, I've been i've been there almost five years now so that's that's quite a long time in 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 the tech industry really isn't it yeah it is but hey you must like it i guess um yeah yeah i do i, I enjoy it there i think it's a it's, it's a good i mean obviously you work there you, you know what you know what it's like it's a it's, it's a good mix <clears throat> a good mix of of interesting work uh, it's a good environment it's pretty fast-paced not, not obviously the pace of a startup. I mean, uh, you've been you've been at startups as well. Uh, I've been there, and that's incredibly mm. fast paced, almost reckless at times. Uh, but this, I think, mm. it's a good a good uh, kind of medium where you've you've got that uh, a decent pace, but you're also you know every the code quality is great, security is good, and all the rest of it. So it's, um, it, is, it is a good balance, I think. So your focus is mainly on SEO and performance. Uh, yeah, it, it's kind of morphed into that now. Um, I suppose for, I mean, for for many years, I was, as you pointed out, I was I was a, a front end um, developer. So I was I was doing that right from God, right from ninety six um, onwards. Where well, I think I don't think it was even called front end back then. It was called web designer uh <laughs> for a few years but yeah so ba basically that that's kind of always been my focus so it's almost natural that that's that's kind of where my my career has led is it into that into that sphere so even though like my title is application architect I, I don't even feel that i'm particularly an architect of sorts not not your classic kind of diagram drawing uh architect but um very much focused on the output uh, from the browser, you know, to, to or you know, output to the client, uh, to the customer, and uh, I mean, in the case of compare the market, definitely with a slant on making sure that the the focus for search engines is particularly excellent. I suppose you, you know, it, when you when you're in a, in a in a competitive market like that, I think I'm not sure if you're aware, but basically, car insurance as a search term is one of the most competitive in in the UK market. So it can be the, the minutest incremental uh, things that you do in your code that can bump you from, you know, uh, second place to first place in the search listings, which can mean a crazy amounts of money every day. So it's, it's, a, um, it's definitely quite a, a nuanced, but a very important part of, of the, the infrastructure. I think that a lot of people miss out on, I mean, Think back to points in your career. What, what did you used to think of SEO? You know, I guess mechanically it made sense. You know, search engines have to be able to find our stuff one way or another. And you can sort of, you know, cheat a little bit by optimizing a little more, a little more. I mean, from, from my perspective, up until maybe about three, four years ago, 
um, I always thought of it as a bit of a con because effectively, I, I suppose it's it's an industry created out of nothing by the search engines, isn't it? And you've got a, a, you know a massive multi-billion worldwide industry created out of nothing. And um, and I always my, my thought was well, you know, if if you're if you're coding for accessibility and you're coding good semantic HTML with decent content and well-written stuff, then surely SEO is, I mean, what, what do you need it for? Really, if, if your content's good and it's, and it's discoverable, mm. then what's your problem? But actually, when you, you start to really, really dig into it, there, uh, beyond the, the obvious performance stuff to make sure it's fast and, uh, and, and everything, there, there is a lot to it. And it's, um, you know, I, I think that generic developer's view of SEO is just being a load of snake oil kind of uh, is, is, is a thing. And it's, it's been interesting to lift the lid on that anyway, from my perspective and see that it isn't all snake oil. It's a lot of different things packaged together in, in one mm. little term, but you know, when you start to dig down into technical SEO, things like schemas and microdata, um, uh, performance or you know, how you, how you put together your HTML, all the different myriad of things in performance. Um, and then all the stuff, link building and all the rest of it, uh, making sure that everything is is perfect. Your sitemap's perfect. Mm. There's no four or fours. You don't have any redirect loops. All of these different, all these different aspects that that flow together. You, so you don't want to confuse Google. I mean, what? Why would Google be confused? But apparently, that's you know that's a thing. <laughs> you can send the wrong signals to a search engine mm. so that it gets confused, and then it might not understand what your website really is. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite deep. It is very deep. And actually most developers don't have an appreciation or awareness of, of uh, even how broad or how deep it all goes. Right. And it doesn't really form a part of most developers day to day, really, does it? Uh, no, it, it doesn't. That's totally true. I mean, why, why would developers be worried about that? As in, I suppose when I was, when I was coding more, uh, or, well, when I was coding, because I barely code anymore at all. But um, <laughs> yeah, I was much more focused on what I was building, trying to make that good, uh, trying to make that usable and accessible and all the rest of it. And um, I wasn't, I wasn't concerned about, about the business, you know, or the, you know, marketing or whatever. Um, I was concerned about the piece of work that I was trying to do. And I, I think it's quite easy to get into that bubble. Maybe in, in a in a small startup environment, you get a little bit more involved in the business. But I think when you're in a larger company, you're much more siloed and in, in your little pod, as it were. So, like you've been an application architect for like maybe like two or three years thereabouts, um, and I uh, I assume now you're getting less and less technical. And is that affecting you at all? And yeah, it it, it can affect you. It you end up kind of getting little bursts of imposter syndrome. Um, as, as really? I, yeah, I mean, I've not really, I've not done any production code for th over three years now. In fact, I think the last piece of production code that I did was the, uh, boilerplate, uh, HTML for, uh, project sparkles, as, as you all know, and love from mm -hmm. the market. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's, it's been a long time since I've really done any, any actual production code. I have done, you know, obviously do bits and bobs. I mean, I run a record label on uh, as as a, as a hobby. I've done for well, almost getting off for twenty years now. And I spent most of the weekend tinkering around with DNS and Cloudflare and Cloudflare workers and things like that. So I kind of noodle around in my own time, but um, my actual like proper day to day technical coding skills are, as far as I'm concerned, gone. 
So, uh, in fact, one of my colleagues quite uh, said to me something which I I really liked um, their viewpoint, which was when you become an engineering manager and be that a tech lead or an application architect or whatever fancy title you want to call it, um, you go from having one pair of hands to code with to however many pairs of hands you've got in your team. So, you know, in, in the team that I look after, I've got, what, 12 engineers? So I've got 12 pairs of hands to code with. So it's not, it, you know, I, I don't have to be the one coding. And I know full well that, in fact, quite frankly, even, the, uh, you know, the, the juniors in the team will probably be a better coder than I am now, I would say, which is quite a humbling thing to say after 25 years or odd of, uh, mm. <laughs> of working in the industry. I mean, maybe I could point out something <laughs> what they're doing to improve their code, but I, I would, I would, I would struggle probably now to build a website from scratch. This is a very broad and vague question. I hate to I hate to even phrase it like this, but do you have any sort of things that stand out to you in terms of lessons that you've learned from leading people? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I think it totally depends on the team. I think a lot of it for me is about trust, trusting your engineers and uh, earning, the, earning that trust with the engineers as well. So it's a, it's a two-way thing, isn't it? As in, I, I need to trust that the engineers are good and, and will be able to do the job. And I can, I can delegate a task to the team and it will get done to a high standard. I mean, so much of it is about trust. So if I'm reporting back on, uh, quality assurance standards for, for the website that we're just about to release, I'm actually basing my, all of every, everything in trust in, in what the team is telling me. Obviously I can go and look at the tools and everything, but I'm sure there could be smoke and mirrors underneath there. So. All of it's about trust. Obviously, I can see the output, and I can I can look at um, I can look at the website very closely. But so much of it is about trust. So I think that is a major thing. And, but also, it's about obviously you know communication, uh, making sure that everyone's happy and actually enjoying it. You know, keep, keeping keeping the, the the morale up in the team. You know, it, you, you think back to say when when you you were in the team and compare the market. It was such a good, well-gelled uh, atmosphere. At a certain point, there was a time when the team was quite fractious, and and it wasn't an enjoyable experience. But I think we got to a point. You know, it's it's a lot of it's about hiring the right people with the right attitude. I, I, I love the thing of no superheroes. I, I, that's definitely something I'd stand by. I'd never hire someone that that is all ego and just wants to come in and save the day and code on their own and smash stuff out because they're amazing. No, it's not about that at all. I, I, I much prefer that slightly slower paced, um, I hate the term extreme programming, you know, pair programming um, uh, with, a, with a view on quality. I'd, I'd rather get something out slightly slower that has far fewer bugs, has a much better code quality, is much more performant and smash something out really quickly just to please marketing and sales and, and the rest of it. So, you know, when, when you do that, then the team have trust and pride in the work that they've done. And that then builds morale and it, it will kind of, it, it helps to build that. I don't know the, um, what's the right word for it helps, helps to build a team that has real pride in themselves and their work and they enjoy it. You know, when you've got a team that are, mm. that are indignant and, and, and wound up because they've not won team of the month. 
that's what you want to see. You want a team that are like are confident. They really think they've done some amazing work <laughs> and they really enjoy working with each other. And there's none of that. Oh, Jeff in the corner. He's not very good, is he? You know, you don't want any of that kind of thing. And it's uh, and it's like when you've got a team that really all, all kind of they just trust each other. They know that they can turn around to their colleague and, and their colleague will have some really great advice for them on what to do with some code. And they're not afraid to ask, you know, allowing the team to have space as well to be able to achieve that. So uh, I suppose as a, as a leader, you need to make sure that pressure doesn't flow down too much onto the team from above. So if you've got multiple stakeholders that are wanting things from the team, don't panic the team with that information. There's no need make them feel that they've got time and space to make mistakes and to take risks and to experiment and to innovate and all the rest of it when actually sometimes they haven't. And, <laughs> and you have to, uh, you know, you, you have to push back on stakeholders. I mean, one of your previous podcast um, uh, uh, people was Colin Swan, who was absolutely amazing at doing exactly that. You know, a stakeholder would come to him and say, when is this being delivered? He, he would he had this amazing way of deflecting that, saying, well, I can't really tell you right now. Uh, we're only one sprint in and, uh, you know, we haven't really figured out the complete velocity yet. So it's, and we still got a lot of stuff in refinement. And, and he had this way of, of just not confusing the, the stakeholder, but kind of reassuring them that everything's on track, but I'm not going to give you a date. How dare you ask that question? <laughs> and it's, that's a skill in itself. <laughs> and then that takes the pressure off the team. Another thing that I think CCM is really great at is the whole culture, not only the culture, but the sort of diversity and inclusivity. And, you know, you'll have a great perspective on this, you know, from coming from, you know, probably over a dozen other jobs before that, you know, in a lot of different sectors with a lot, with a lot of different people. What what do you think you're currently doing really well at CCM? I think a lot, a lot of uh, the reason why it's good at uh, compare the market is again it's the it's the kind of the attitude of the upper management the openness um really encouraging this f from everyone in 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 the company so i mean I, I look back i look back on my career and you can definitely see the progression i look back to my university course i did it at salford um and i graduated in 96 i think in the first year there were maybe 10 percent of the course uh were women and i would say in the final year most of those had dropped out i think there were two women on my course in the final year <laughs> uh, a lot of blokes had dropped out as well but um I, I found that quite interesting and then you go into industry i think my first few jobs there were no female coders at all um then I think back to maybe five five years in. I, I mean, I remember one. There was there was one job I had at ImageNet, which company got bought by Getty Images. I remember for a long period of time there, we had the engineering department all in one room. I mean, there was like fifteen of us, all men, and it was, uh, yeah, it was not a toxic environment. That's the wrong word for it, but it wasn't healthy. Uh, you started to see then after that. I remember the next company I was at at DBA was a woman. And then I think that was out of a department of maybe 12 people. And then the next company, there was actually a couple of front-end developers that were female. And you start to see more and more. And then at Compare the Market, I mean, I was hired, but our, our technical lead was female. And it's like, right, 
that's that's more like it. And I think it's just it just makes for such a healthier team when you've got a proper mix of of um, of ideas and different outlooks and and it it makes it does make a massive difference. I think MIT now um, the uh, marketing IT at Capella Market is about a fifty fifty split. I'd have to go and count it, but it's it's not far off if it isn't. Um, and the atmosphere is so healthy. It it just so so many more um, kind of views coming in, uh, just the different ways of looking at things, different ways of processing information. You know, much more kind of I suppose mm. different attitudes. Everything else, it, it just makes for a much much healthier team. I think mean, that does come down from the top. I mean, we had a we had um, a course recently that we did, and it was talking about inclusion and microaggressions and stuff like that. And now, as quite an old school developer, this is something I hadn't even. I mean, I'd heard the term microaggressions, didn't really understand what they were, um, but after watching this, it was so apparent that it's something that happens all the time, everywhere you go. You know, like. I'll get it from a really pathetic kind of point of view because I'm Welsh. Well, you like sheep, do you? You know that the, just the stupid little jokes like that. Um, mm. And and mm-hmm. you shouldn't be. You know, it's that the whole kind of you got your company teaching teaching you that making a point about anyone that's personal is a microaggression. Um, we we touched on optimization. That's that's you know basically the bread and butter of what you're doing and now of the teams that you're overseeing. Give me a sort of broad overview, the gist of what we're talking about, the, the scale of what's happening. It took a little while for us to be able to work on on these things. But when we started having, you know, we had, I remember we had problems with head, headroom. So it was like the we needed more kind of caching and scalability within the solution so that we were able to cope with more visitors as the market got bigger and bigger and we didn't have the capacity. Now, one of the aspects of that is actually if your website, if your page is half the size that it is currently, then you're going to be able to serve more of those pages uh, because the sheer amount of bandwidth and, and CPU power and everything else uh, that the servers can cope with, it's going to be easier. So, you know, we started down that path, didn't we? And I, I think one of the first pieces of work that you did after the after the initial kind of oh make sure the images are crunched and uh, uh, you know and and move some of the JavaScript around so it's not render blocking and you did uh, that piece of work where we um, we took the CSS and um, uh, refined it and then took it out of its file and plopped it in the the, the critical part CSS in the top of the page and then the rest down the bottom. And that made a massive difference to our kind of page speed insight score at the time or lighthouse score. And um, and then I think when we combine that with the work we did with AMP and the stakeholders seeing the difference of a page, you know, you, you, you get your phone out and you're saying, right, go and uh, type in comparethemarket.com in Google search and, and click on, on the page and they wait for it to load and, and so on. And you know it's quite slow. And then we we did that test with AMP. And it's like right, go and type in pet insurance, and you see the little lightning bolt next to it. That means it's AMP. Now click on the page, bang, straight away, immediate page loads instantly because it was cached behind Google's search. 
and the response was incredible it really was that the it suddenly resonated with the stakeholders we saw that the bounce rate went down uh the number of people clicking through went up and it just had an overall positive effect it had no uh, i think what one um one thing that is a bit of a a myth is that amp gives you better seo it doesn't it's just that your overall speed will improve for mobile therefore that is a ranking signal but amp in itself doesn't you know you could you could quite easily code a website uh very very quickly if you just did extremely good html minimal javascript or no javascript <laughs> um and you know barely any uh, kind of css or any third party scripts or whatever but anyway, so so you know, we we went down that path, and then I think once once the 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 business understood that this was actually a really good thing, then it became interesting. So then we started chatting to Google about it, as Google became interested once we started working with AMP. So um, we started that relationship, which was obviously a really positive step, um, and then we started to kind of bring this knowledge to the rest of the teams in, in compare the market, rest of the product, product teams. Um, and, you know, built this into the overall kind of quality of the website across the entire company. So now we have standards in place where, you know, teams need to be hitting 70 lighthouse score. Uh, you know, that's, that's the quality gate um, and similar gates for accessibility similar gates for now you've got core web vitals as, as Google's latest thing. So, um, you know, it's, it's about kind of educating now for me, I suppose I'll, I'll be setting, setting the standards, uh, helping people understand what this means. I mean, you know, explaining, say recently explaining cumulative layout shift to 400 people and why why that's important why it's so really really annoying when you're scrolling through a website and the page jumps just as you click on a button and you end up clicking on the wrong thing i'm talking to you paypal with your credit card adverts which mm -hmm. do that which i reckon they do deliberately but um <laughs> you know it's it's all of these kind of so it's, it, there's so many so many aspects to it but the journey's been quite long at, at compare the market um amp was a great way mm -hmm. of propelling us into that stage of really un of really understanding why performance was an important thing. An area which you have a supreme amount of expertise in is getting business buy-in for all of your crazy optimization ideas. Um, do you have, do you have like, I mean, I, I, I imagine you could write an entire playbook on exactly how to do this. Can you give me a, a taste of, of what kind of things uh, I might uh, experience? I mean, ultimately, if you can, if you can prove it's going to make the business money to do it, that's the, that's the first play, right? So if you can say, if, you know, it's very hard to do, uh, because you need a lot of data. So, but if you can say to the business, if, if you, uh, speed up your site by 100 milliseconds, you will earn X amount more per day. They're going to do it. It's a no brainer. Um, and there are a bunch of companies out there that have done it. Google, Google um, works with Deloitte and an agency called 55 to, um, to kind of do a, a big deep dive into this. And there was companies like Farfetch um, that that built similar calculators. And certainly in 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 a lot of sectors, 
it makes a huge difference. Like, and I think it's in the luxury sector they found something like that for each hundred milliseconds, there was a huge lift in, in people going. So obviously, if you're spending ten grand on a watch, if if the product page is taking ages to load, you're just going to. I don't trust this company. Why would I spend ten grand with them? They can't even make a website load properly. But so you know, yeah. Bottom line is number one. Secondly, it's just demonstration. I mean, showing yourself against a, a, another another company. Um, where their page is slow and yours is quick. It's just, you know, it is frustrating. It's one of the most frustrating things, um, a slow loading website. I think there was, again, there was another study done recently where they were measuring people's heart rate and uh, as, a, as a measure of frustration about things on the internet. And slow loading websites came in above pop-ups and broken links and the rest of it. So, I mean, there's, there's definitely that. It's also about, Maybe it's about a little bit of gamification as well. There's lots of scores involved in web performance, which is always fun. So, you know, if you've got different scores in Lighthouse, it's about, you know, setting thresholds, getting team to, to hit green on things. It's, you know, it's about overall quality. It's about the company being able to even brag about it almost in a certain in a certain way if, if they do hit certain standards. It's about beating the opposition. Surely you want, you know, as a company, you want your website to be faster than your competition. It's a no-brainer, um, but yeah, it's, it's about it's about going going in and understanding as well. I suppose each stakeholder's needs. Why would a product owner be bothered about performance? I mean, you've, you've got to kind of understand where they're coming from and about their product and and what really matters to them. I mean, you know, in the in the case of compare the market, um, you can understand say travel insurance pages being fast because I might be at an airport on my phone and dodge a connection in the middle of Heathrow. Well, not anymore because I'm not allowed to go on holiday, but in days, days gone by, <laughs> you could have been, imagine being in Heathrow uh, <laughs> yeah. looking, looking at travel insurance and uh, you'd, you'd want that pace low quickly because you're probably in a scenario where you're about to get on a plane, you need to do it. Whereas maybe life insurance, maybe it's more important for them to have uh, a couple of extra JavaScript snippets on the page to help to, to help people understand life insurance a bit better. I mean, I'm not going to be in, in any rush to fill out my life insurance form because it's going to take probably weeks to, to get it all completed anyway. Um, so I think it depends on the product. Um, but definitely, I think it's about understanding stakeholders' needs and making making them understand what benefit it's going to give for them. You know, for the sake of SEO, it's a no-brainer. It's a ranking signal. Core Web Vitals from May onwards is a ranking signal. Uh, mobile speed is a ranking signal. So um, that is it's a no-brainer. It means if we speed up, if we're fast in our competition, we will, well, it will be one of a one factor where you're going to get higher rankings. Um, and also it's just better for the customer. If the company, like, you know, you tug at those strings as well, because I've definitely done that in the past. If you're saying that, we're all about the customer. Prove it. You know, the customers want a fast website. They want an accessible website. You know, is it? Uh, uh, think about our most vulnerable customer. I, I, I was chatting to at a Google event actually. I was chatting to someone that worked for RS Components, and they sell uh, uh, stuff for for engineers, like as in real engineers, not software engineers, like people that actually like build things. <laughs> and, and they have an idea of their customer being um, an engineer in a field uh, with a, you know, with a, 
a yellow vest on working on a telegraph pole and he's got a crap 3G connection or something. That's their customer. So he's probably got a, a you know, um, they've probably got a, a, a 50 quid phone, a bad connection. The website needs to be fast there so that they can get there. They, they can order more sprockets or whatever that they need. And that's the customer. And I think once you identify that, you, you, you don't want to be building your website for for uh, Robin sitting in his in his nice home office with his iPhone 10 or whatever it is. Um, that's not that's not the right customers waiting for. Uh, where's where's performance SEO and optimization going uh, right now? Um, I mean, there's loads of different aspects. I think um, some of the stuff I've been looking at recently. Obviously, you got lots of new image formats that are way more progressive and uh, faster than previously. I suppose most websites still using JPEGs and PNGs and stuff. Um, but you know, you got your AVIFs and, and things like that now, WebP. Um, and there's loads of great stuff you can do at the edge as well. That's a lot of things I've been looking at. We we work with uh, Cloudflare, who were very supportive of 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 helping us out on on that side of things. So you know, with Cloudflare workers, you can you can process pages on the edge and and do whatever you like with them, really. So let's say you've got lots of different third party scripts. You can use a Cloudflare worker to play almost like a Jedi mind trick on on the on the client and say no no they're not hosted over google and an amp project and uh, i don't know adobe or whatever they're actually hosted here and what it does is it takes the html and it at uh, the worker rewrites it, it grabs all those files it caches them it rewrites the html of where that is hosted so that the client doesn't have to have that extra um a dns lookup ssl handshake and all the rest of it for that for that extra domain so you cut down all the domains on your site to only needing to hit one or two domains you speed your website up massively massively uh, makes a big difference and technologies like that are absolutely fantastic for performance um really really useful stuff cool okay so so uh, once again thank you so much really really appreciate it and uh lastly i'm sorry to do this to you but before i let you go i need the joke of the show please yeah, no problem. Yeah. So um, I own the world's worst thesaurus. Um, not only is it awful, it's also awful. <laughs> Brilliant. Cheers, Robin. Thank you very much. And that's all, folks. Thanks a lot for tuning in. For more info, for questions, comments, or feedback, please head on over to aheadintech.com and don't forget to subscribe.